Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. The show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and indeed for industry leaders. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lee McAvoy, co-founder of Sustain IQ. Liam, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Delighted to be here, Carl. Thank you. Um, so, Liam, for anybody who's not familiar, um, explain what is Sustain IQ and what is the offering? Yeah, so Sustain IQ is the all-in-one ESG reporting software solution. Um, our USP is we we capture all aspects of ESG and performance data for our, for our customers. Um, and we're really, really passionate about... Um, helping our customers use their data, their ESG performance data, um, to take a more data-driven approach almost to to their ESG um, strategies, um, particularly around those big investment decisions that we all have to make, um, certainly around our transition towards net zero and, and, and so on as well. So it's starting to use the data, starting to use the performance data to, to help make those decisions, as well as reporting on performance across projects, and and so on as well. And so are your clients across multi-sectors? Multi-sectors, Carl, yes, but our main focus and primary focus continues to be construction and the built environment, yeah. Very good. So it's interesting when you talk about an all-in-one ESG tool, because to me that seems almost like too big an ask. You know, in fact, one of my criticisms of ESG and how it's been interpreted by the industry is that there's this huge focus on environmental, which obviously is critical, but actually, sometimes the social and even the governance, but particularly the social side, gets left behind. So in terms of an all-in-one, is yours genuinely weighted across all of the, the more holistic approach to ESG? Or do you have that that kind of disproportionate weighting in favour of environmental issues? No, actually, it's a really good point, Carol. So from the outset, um, myself and the other co-founder, Maria Diffley, we wanted to create um, the platform that, that would capture all aspects of ESG in its in entirety. But you're right, it's such a vast topic. And when you start to break down the data requirements for each, it's it's vast. It's, it's very overwhelming for a lot of companies to approach. So look, how we overcame that challenge was by designing and building Sustain IQ across four pillars. So that's our four pillar methodology. And by doing that, we get that equal focus across the E, the S and the G. So the four pillars are broken down into responsible procurement. So all things to do with products, materials, supply chain. Then we've got our environmental pillar, which tracks all of the key environmental indicators that you would typically want to be capturing across projects. We've got our people, health and diversity pillar, which focuses on social value. But that particular pillar focuses on internal investment in people. And then we've got our fourth and final pillar, which is community engagement and partnering. So we gain social value, but that, that pillar focuses externally on partnerships with uh, community groups or charity uh, um, organizations, volunteering, that that type of thing. So by, by creating those four pillars, and we have currently um, just over 200 data capture points across the four pillars. So we've taken the pain out of it for our customers they don't have to think about what they need to track we we have that all set out for them so across those two 200 data capture points across the four pillars and we've kind of set out everything that they need to track and there would be a really equal balance across the e the s and the and the g because it's important very good and look you might just take it down you know uh, one of the things i like to do here regularly is when we talk about data actually break that down into what is it so you know you've mentioned uh 200 data points let's look at maybe some of the really important ones from the 
a responsible procurement side of it. And by the way, when you look at responsible procurement, are you looking across public and private sector? Yeah, I mean, the main focus for us under the, the procurement, the responsible procurement pillar, um, there's a huge governance um, element there. So um, Sustain IQ would have lots of like automated forms, for example, that would go out to the value chain um, and we'd be looking across everything from maybe modern slavery, bribery, information security, your typical due diligence that you should be doing across your 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 supply chain um, really. And that's an automated um, process. But because we kind of created that portal within the procurement pillar, we're also now able to reach out externally to get like scope three emissions um, again through an automated process back into Sustain IQ. A big thing under the procurement pillar for us, and again, it's it's a it's a department that I think was relatively sheltered um, for the last 10 odd years with regards to our, our sustainability um, kind of progress. But um, since ESG has kind of come along, the, the procurement departments in particular have been impacted massively. So within that pillar, we've got our embodied carbon calculator, and that calculates the, the embodied carbon of products and materials being bought in by the business. And again, that's done using uh, environmental product um, declarations, those EPDs. But another big part of the procurement pillar is tracking the impact um, that we can have through procurement. So we've got a socioeconomic impact calculator. So the system using mapping will also know where the supply chain is located, where the various projects or built assets are, and the system will tell our customers how many say suppliers um, or even subcontractors are located within a certain radius of that of that project. And again, that's really tracking the impact that our customers can have through their supply chain, through procurement, local opportunities for local businesses, local jobs, local people, all of that type of thing. That's great to hear. And I think it's a very generous description you've given the procurement sector there, you know, by saying that it's been somewhat sheltered from some of the the drivers, the ESG drivers that the industry has been exposed to, or the wider industry, and and the supply chain has been exposed to um, over the, the past number of years. So what kind of trends are you seeing? Because from our point of view, you know, particularly across our work on, say, uh, offsite and other modern methods of construction, as well as uh, prop tech and construction uh, technologies, we have long seen procurement as part of the problem, but it also was almost the largest part of the solution. It just took them a while to understand how to do it. And and that's still that's still in process. You know, we're definitely not there yet, but we can see uh, policies moving in the direction to support responsible procurement. But what kind of trends have you seen um, over the last number of years that that are, are moving us in the right direction? So like you're 100% correct there, um, and, and they are a big part of the solution. The, the reality is, and I think the biggest trend that has come along that has kind of put the spotlight on the procurement teams is the need for us to be able to access those scope three emissions through the, the, the supply chain, through the value chain. And we cannot get to them. We cannot access them without going through procurement. So that's, I think, the one big trend that has come along that, that they can't shy away from that they, they're kind of up front and center and whether that is um who is being chosen to supply products and materials and, and and we're starting now to dive into uh you know the the embodied carbon of those products and materials that are maybe been specified maybe it's to do with the um the the performance of a subcontractor if we're we're now 
starting to see net zero clauses coming through contracts. Um, and the reality is we can't achieve any of those targets without bringing the supply chain with us. So we're now starting to look into the supply chain to find those, those subcontractors, those businesses that are most likely to be able to help us achieve those those very challenging targets. Um, and so none of that is possible if we can't go through the procurement teams um, in, in terms of accessing it. Also, I would say tenders, we're starting to see a lot of um, ESG related queries. And again, there is a lot of noise around the carbon agenda at the minute that's linked to those big uh, 2050 targets and, and so on. But, you know, the waiting behind those questions within tenders is really starting to to creep up 15, 16, 17, even 18 percent um kind of waiting, you know. So again, I think I think it's that carbon trend at the minute that that's really driving that conversation within the procurement teams. And it's you definitely know, needed. Yeah, I, and that's an interesting one. But just, you know, when you talk I, and look, there's there's absolutely no underestimating um the the importance of bringing the supply chain with you. I think mm -hmm. contractors know this. They've they've been through it on their digitalization processes. You know, they understand that, you know, at the end of the day, construction is the business of people construction is delivered through your supply chain and and i don't think there's any kind of failure to recognize that side of it but maybe the logistics of it have been a little more challenging but just when you talk about how we're how you know not just the the targets but actually we also can't hit the targets if we don't know our own numbers so you talked about the the carbon calculator that you have you know obviously our calculation of carbon has been somewhat hit and miss and um, you know and that that undermines the credibility of the targets that we're aiming for and and i think not just across the built environment but some of the sustainability metrics have definitely been criticized for their lack of robustness um so how are you addressing that like maybe explain a little about how your carbon calculator works yeah and that's um i mean that's a big part of what we do carolyn funny it's a it's a big I suppose that's one of the big reasons SustainIQ was born. Um, and it was because of that, the pain point of not being able to access accurate, reliable ESG data, uh, in particular carbon data across projects. So we had all of the strategies, we had all of the roadmaps, we had all of the glossy reports, um, all of that, but actually being able to back all of that up with performance data was just becoming really, really difficult. Um, and it was clear that a digital solution was needed to help help companies easily do that. And Sustain IQ was definitely born out of that need. So within Sustain IQ, we would track all scope one, all scope two, and all scope three uh, emissions. Um, and we put a big, big focus um, on that because exactly as you said, you know, I think we've got targets in place and we've objectives and so on to get there. But unless we know where we're setting off from, what are our baselines? You know, you need to be able to measure this. We need to be able to measure every single investment that we make and whether that investment is having the reduction um, that that's needed. Um, and so for us, we we use the carbon factors uh, from the SEAI. All, all of the Irish carbon factors are, are built into the system. Um, and so as our customers easily track their performance, scope one, scope two emissions, maybe on site, scope three coming in, maybe from across the supply chain, um, our calculator operates in the background. It applies the applicable carbon factors for that uh, particular source, that emission source, whatever it might be, and um, to give them an accurate uh, reading um, within within the system. And again, um, Sustain IQ is multi-user, multi-site, multi-jurisdiction. So we operate across quite a few jurisdictions, quite a few member states, and so the system automatically applies the applicable carbon factors for that for that uh, country, so that we get the output required. Um, for that particular yeah. 
situation. You know, I, I, I think the, the drivers for net zero have become much clearer and more compelling. Um, you know, you know, I, I, I truly believe that policy was a little behind the curve. And um, so regulatory, the threat of regulatory was the main driver before regulation was. And in the in the interim period, I think funding, international funding requirements came in and they proved to be the really big driver uh, for the environmental um, for for the environmental targets essentially uh, that were then being built in and and, and expressed through uh, the tendering process. I think it's less clear about what the drivers for social value. And I mean, you talked about, you know, people, health and, and uh, diversity. I mean, that essentially being the third pillar. The What are the driving factors for that? Um, and, and look, obviously, because you work across multi-jurisdictions, feel free to talk to me about the Irish, Northern Irish, English, Scottish, Wales market or beyond, because I think it's really interesting to learn because the Republic of Ireland is definitely behind the UK in terms of social value and how that's been driven. So I'd be interested to learn how it's working in other jurisdictions and maybe what is likely to happen in Ireland and what needs to happen. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And, and certainly in terms of those trends that we see across the different jurisdictions, there's different areas of focus. And I think the UK is very focused on social value. Um, I think Ireland and a lot of the member states are very focused on the environmental, very focused on the, on the carbon. I think within the EU, the big driver for all um, ESG data card would be the CSRD uh, legislation, uh, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that kicked off there um, this year, really, this January. Um, the vast majority of our customers will be coming on online around 2026. So they will be reporting to the European Commission. It won't be just on the environmental. It will be on all ESG uh, performance data, including social value. I think when we look at the construction and the built environment, social value is the one pillar that we have. Like Obviously, we have a big impact across all three. But my goodness, does the sector have such an impact? socially you know through the creation of uh, jobs um, apprenticeship and placement opportunities you know um the the maximizing the impact that we can have in those local communities and then again as i said the ripple impact through through procurement um and yes i think the big focus in ireland is certainly the e and i think the s is definitely common when we look at maybe the uk model again even within the uk there's there's a lot of uh, different sort of approaches to social value in england there's a big focus on like the monetary value almost where they calculate the the impact of social value and maybe where there's opportunities for people that maybe struggle to find work and all of a sudden through a, a contract it's built in that you must provide a certain number of placement opportunities uh, linked to that particular project and so people are obviously then finding these opportunities hopefully a new career um, and, and that becomes a, a long-term impact uh, socially but there's a big focus there maybe on the the monetary value and um, we see up in scotland um the big focus there is on impact it's the actual impact that in particular construction contractors can have on the ground throughout throughout the project as well so each region has its own little quirks in terms of where their interest within social value lies and how they kind of calculate that impact and um, there wouldn't really be an agreed method i suppose right across the whole of the uk but i think that's that's good then for, for the likes of Ireland that is maybe looking on to see, okay, so what works, what works best for us, what's been trialed, what's been tested. And so I think that whenever social value then does open up, um, and it will, and um, we expect to see that coming online quite soon. Um, it means that again, we're able to move very, very quickly 
construction sector, I think, typically does move quite quickly in this space. Um, and so I think whenever social value does come online, things will happen quite quickly. You know, um, I, I've spoken to so many founders across the prop tech and construction technologies. And sometimes it's interesting when people talk about what moves quickly, because there's definitely the perception that this industry doesn't move as quick uh, mm -hmm. as it ought to. And in fact, this brings us back to drivers and what we see, again, the drivers that really um, I suppose narrow the gap between the leaders who are doing this anyway, and they and they tend to more of a focus on impact, um, as opposed to those who are just doing it in order to tick the box of compliance. Uh, one of the drivers to kind of narrow that gap is obviously the requirements through tendering. And when you start, I, I think in the Republic of Ireland, when we start to see social value actually being given a, a weighting in tenders, then that will absolutely change the conversation. But then you're still back to the challenge of how do you measure social impact? So I, and I know you talked about kind of the different focuses that the different regions across the, the UK might have. But it's a reality for contractors looking and taking on whether it's large infrastructure projects or any projects across the built environment. You know, we, we need for social value to be seen as more than uh, nice to have that actually I, and I, I don't think it's that new at all. I don't think it's that modern. I think if we go back to the early, early days of property development and delivering places, social value yeah. was built into it because there were local developers delivering local places that they may or may not live in themselves, but they were essentially creating places that had to sustain life so yeah. actually i think social value was always part of it so now because it's under a, a separate kind of reporting criteria it has confused the industry into almost not recognizing what elements of their their day job is already complying yeah. with this so in terms of kind of the 200 data data points can you maybe help articulate some that would be specifically geared towards social value i mean you touched on local employment and how that can be done um, but maybe perhaps kind of explore a few more with the focus on people and diversity because quite frankly this is still not a diverse industry despite so many so many different initiatives and efforts yeah no absolutely look I think you know I, I reference you know uh, things moving quickly definitely look the sector uh, wouldn't be known for it at all but you know certainly within the ESG space I think it's more of a global Thing where things are moving very, very quickly. And honestly, in my 20 years of working in construction and sustainability, I've never known anything to move as quickly as the carbon agenda. You know, so um I I, I expect when social value comes online, we'll we'll see a similar sort of uh, a similar sort of trend. I think like you've touched on it there, uh, Carl. I think um social value has always been part of the sector. I think we've always been very, very good. And you see a lot of particularly contractors there, you know, trying to, to have a positive impact in those communities that that they operate in. Um, I think it's now starting to kind of evolve from just that, you know, and it's it's, you know, it's really sort of looking in on a on a project. So say there's a big scheme in Dublin or or Galway or somewhere, and 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 you're looking at the value of that contract. Is how do we increase the value of that contract within that local area? And it's not always a monetary thing. It's it's the social impact of that. And it's how we how we measure that. So when you look at like a big project and you look at the the, the tender behind that and the contractor coming in, yes, there's the social impact that we can have through procurement, through supply chain opportunities. But then, as I mentioned there as well, there's those career opportunities, particularly apprenticeships and placements, both directly through a main contractor, but indirectly through the the, the supply chain as well. And it's important 
important to track those, what level of apprenticeship or placements they are, the number of weeks of opportunities that they get and the impact that that would have sort of on an ongoing basis. But then even, you know, within the business itself, we're looking at construction and diversifying the workforce and, and so on as well. It's tracking that, the diversity, the breakdown of the workforce inclusivity i think it's looking at those investments in safety which has always been there for a long time but also in well-being um, and then those investments in the people and the, the project personnel and and so on tracking tracking all of those um investments as well as training and development but then also it's kind of like the, the boots on the ground as well and the impact that we can have in the local communities the partnering with local community groups the volunteering, which again, when you look at some of our customers there and you look at their project teams, they're maybe on site for maybe look anything up to maybe two years. And they're taking part in local volunteering initiatives and um, they're raising money for local charities. Um, and they're really kind of, I think, embedding themselves in, in the local community, you know. So, and I think it's important that we do, we track all of that, be it monetary, be it product donation and um, through volunteering hours and weeks and all those different things. I think when you add that all up for one project, it's it's eye-watering, the actual social impact that, that companies can have. Um, and that's just one project. You multiply that up across right across the country. Um, it, it's astounding the impact that actually the sector is having. Um, and it's not all goods, that's not what I'm saying, but um, we're, we're having a lot of positive impact. And I think, again, having the data behind to support that, it allows us to take a more strategic approach so that we can look at those those schemes in the future and we can we, we can look at where they are, the location, maybe the, you know, the value, all of those different things will help us take a little bit more of a strategic approach to, so that we can fully maximize the impact that we can have socially, you know. Yeah, and you know, I, I I like that you're articulating there that actually the the new element of this is the the measurement of it and the reporting of it, but actually the doing of it has you know is long established, maybe much more so than our uh, low carbon approach. That you know that's a new approach to how we're delivering buildings, where it's actually the social value I think is so well embedded that. It's just to make the transition of monitoring and capturing what we do. Um, and and because I, I agree with you, I actually see it. And, and I have for for the last decade and a half, I think there's and, and I know historically before that there's such a strong social value being created. But I think actually uh, the crash killed the ability of the industry to advocate for itself or to shine a light when it does something positive. You know, the the, the reputational damage, the fallout there was still very much evident that actually when good when good companies were doing good things, they didn't talk about it um, sure. within their local community. And I think maybe that's why that that's that's the bit they're adjusting to now. Um, but I think it's really interesting. And I, I that's something that I'm, I'm watching with interest now because I, I'm really curious as to how companies are going to approach it. Um, I suppose before we finish up today, I'm very cognizant that, you know, you're, you're right when you say kind of the over the last number of decades, we haven't seen anything move as quickly in the construction industry as uh, moving towards low carbon um, b delivery of the built environment. But also that has to go hand in hand with ensuring the well-being not just of the communities that we serve but actually our own teams and that's something that i think has definitely changed shape since covid so what trends because obviously sustain iq is in the marketplace uh long predating well not long a number of years before covid 
what trends are you seeing now maybe that are different from when you and Maria sat down and and really envisaged what Sustain IQ would be? Because, you know, that, that was what, 2017, 2018? The marketplace has moved on much more and much faster than you might have predicted in 2017 or 2018. Oh, absolutely. I think things are moving at a rapid pace. Look, an actual real-life example of that would be the embodied carbon calculator for products and materials. We launched that last May, and that was us future-proofing Sustain IQ, thinking, you know, get the functionality in place so that when customers are ready for it, it's there. I mean, when we launched that last May, our customers were using it immediately. They were they were ready for it. That's how quickly things things are, are progressing. Um, yeah, no, look, absolutely. I think for us, the starting point, Carol, back in 2017, 2018, we could sort of see the direction of travel and we knew that customers needed access to this data for reporting purposes, regulatory requirements such as CSRD, and they needed it for the likes of the tenders um, and so on. But I think we, and so we knew it was needed for, for lots of different reasons by lots of different teams um, within uh, within the business. So it was about bringing it all into one central dashboard so that it wasn't siloed. Because again, a lot of the data, a lot of ESG data already exists within businesses, right? So it's in, you know, different forms and different formats, depending on the roles and responsibilities within the business. But the problem is it's often siloed. It's on spreadsheets, it's on desktops, it's in different software that's not integrated with the business. Um, and so that that's a challenge. Um, and, and often, in a lot of cases, is not actually tracked um, at all. So we were all about trying to bring it all from all those different places, those different silos into one central location for um, for reporting. I think the biggest trend or the biggest uh, impact that I've, I've seen, and I probably didn't expect to see this so quickly, was the number of roles and responsibilities within the business that has been impacted already. You know, um, certainly... One, we, we've spoke about procurement, but even the finance teams, you know, I've never spoke to so many CFOs or finance directors in my life as I've done in the last 12 or 18 months. Like they're absolutely um, obsessed, particularly with the emissions agenda. And I think it's because carbon's been monetized and there's a value there, obviously. Um, but it's the, the number of departments across a, a, an organization of all shapes and all sizes that have been that have been impacted. I think as well a second um Point to make, which which again I knew was probably going to come at some point in the future. I just didn't think it would would impact so quickly. Even those companies within the value chain that maybe necessarily don't meet the requirements for legal reporting, legislative reporting, um, they're still not they're they're still impacted by by this already because commercially, if you want to remain part of that value chain, that supply chain, you still want to work for that, maybe that principal contractor, or maybe you want to work for that, that client. Um, you 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 now need to be reporting on your ESG performance, you know? So you might not have to report legally, but commercially you still need to have access to accurate, reliable uh, ESG data. Um, and I think I think it's the speed at which that's come in. But then with that, and Carl, you sort of touched on this there as well, I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges going forward. Um, it's it's the supply chain. And I think look, they're critical. We cannot achieve any of this without them. And so I think we need to refocus slightly. I, there's definitely still a big need for education. Um, certainly carbon literacy day to day. I hear myself doing it all the time. We 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 nearly speak this new language around carbon. Um, and I, I think we need to now really upskill and educate the supply chain so that we can bring them along 
on this journey with us because honestly mm-hmm. without them it's kind of pointless and i think that the, the challenge has been the speed at which it's moving the amount of people that are now impacted by it um and the the concern for me would be leaving supply chain behind and we can't do that we shouldn't be allowed to do that so we need to make sure that we're we're bringing everyone along on the journey with us you know yeah, well, I, I mean, in terms of leaving the supply chain behind, that can't be done for any period of time because actually then delivery would cease. So um, I, I'm confident that that can't happen. So either it it either happens by design or by default, but we have to bring the supply chain with us or delivery doesn't happen. Um, and I look, I'm, I'm very conscious of your time. Uh, thank you so much. I think it's really interesting. I had never really thought about it before, but the number of different roles and responsibilities and within the operation of, of construction delivery that have been impacted, because you're absolutely right. It touches on all parts now a little bit like technology it's it's not a standalone site it's actually integrated through um the entire delivery which is the way it should be that's actually that's showing us that this is actually changing how we deliver the built environment and that's a really positive thing but i suppose finally before before we finish up today kind of my final question almost links us back to the start um you just touched on there that actually you know very few contractors very few operators in construction now are starting from zero here they already have data they already have some mechanisms so we know that some of the data already exists so maybe maybe for your final question i'll bring you full circle to to what you opened with how does sustain iq help the industry to use the insights from all of that data yeah um and again it it, it differs by department or or the need for for the the data um I think look four main benefits that we would get fed back from our customers um, using Sustain IQ. Um, number one would be increased co- competitiveness within their marketplace, and I think the big shift that we're seeing in the tenders um, from what we used to do compared to what we are now expected to do. They're, they're looking data, they're looking at evidence, they're looking at you to prove you do what you say you're doing, and with those ESG, certainly those carbon related questioning coming into the tenders, it's it's critical to have the data to back it up. So we're seeing um, customers use the data commercially to make themselves more competitive. We also see their customers, their clients are very hungry, particularly for contractors to step up and, and sort of take a lead in this ESG space. So there's that competitive edge. We see them also using it. And it's really interesting to see this happen within construction in particular, because it wouldn't be a sector that would be known for this. But we're seeing them now to use it to build trust with stakeholders because they've got visibility of their performance data and therefore um, they're linking it through to their messaging so they can back up they are doing what they say they're doing. They're being transparent in their performance. Again, not something the sector would be relatively known for. But by building trust with their customers, they're building trust with their staff, their employees, their suppliers, um, certainly the investors, that they've got investors in the background, but also members of the public. Everyone's so much more aware and they're able to use the data to, to kind of build that trust across stakeholders. Um, and then reduce risk would be another benefit because, again, with the likes of CSRD, but also those mm. those big uh, contract requirements. And, and my goodness, they've only started. There's, there's a lot more coming. Um, so, so reducing risk of non-compliance with a legal requirement, a contractual requirement, or indeed like an accusation of greenwashing, something like that. They've got, again, the data in the background to, to back up everything that they're saying. And then I think the big thing 
important for us because, you know, Sustain IQ at the end of the day is a digital solution. And we're making it easy to capture this vast amount of data from across an organization, across a very complex project with lots of different moving parts and so on. Um, so using Sustain IQ obviously saves them time and ultimately saves them money. So instead of having people run all over the place trying to capture patchy, sketchy amounts of data, mm. uh, it, it's all been done um, and they have full access to it. So better those people spending their time doing something that 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 going to add value to, to the business um, and let the tech do what it's it's there to do, which is uh, compile everything for reporting. So I think saving time and saving money. So I think like those are the four key benefits that we would bring our customers, the increased competitiveness, the building trust with stakeholders, the reducing risk, and ultimately saving time and saving money. Super. Thank you so much, Liam, for taking us through that today. Because actually, this is even though there's a huge amount of information out there, it's still an extraordinarily complex area when you sit down and try to apply this. So um, thank you so much for taking us taking us through that today. And I look forward to seeing how the Sustain IQ progress, um, the, your journey over the coming years, because I think we're coming into a really interesting space. And no doubt we'll be speaking to you again, particularly on the social value as we start to see that get weighted value across tenders and the Republic of Ireland. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time and expertise today. That was Lee McAvoy, co-founder of Sustain IQ. My thanks to producer Katie Tallon and to the audio team at Hearing Reward Media. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, for supporting the podcast and making these conversations possible. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat. In the meantime, please be sure to check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows here on iPropertyRadio.com. 